Hi, you're listening to Walkley Talks with me, Helen Sullivan. One of the questions we asked at Storyology this year was how Australians in media and beyond can play a part in making media more representative and fair. To help us find an answer, we invited Alan Clark, investigative journalist at NITV, Isabel Lowe, freelance journalist and founder of Media Diversity Australia, and Tanya Mosley, Emmy Award-winning journalist and senior Silicon Valley correspondent for KQED, to a panel chaired by Michelle Fonseca, the ABC's head of community engagement. Um, a little personal story. I actually started as a reporter many, many moons ago at the ABC as a young reporter in Melbourne. Um, and back then I, I thought I was just fantastic for being on air and it didn't take me long to realise when I was out in the field meeting people that most of them actually thought I was Indira and I do. Um, and so that was a, a very um, humbling reality check for me. And I think it's a bit of a reflection of what things were like back in the 90s um, when there wasn't a lot of cultural diversity on our screens. So what I'm interested to explore today and with your questions too is how much progress have we made since then and what more do we need to do? Each one of us as content makers, as producers, as journalists, as editorial leaders, what's our role that we need to play? So on that note, let's kick off. We, we know from the most recent census that we are an incredibly culturally diverse nation. One in three Australians says that they are um, of a culturally diverse background and that's probably um, the conservative figure. So what's going wrong, guys? Why is it that we look outside and in the communities we live in, they are so diverse, so rich, with so many different perspectives, but the Australia that we tend to see on our screens, on our phones, and that we listen to is not the same Australia. Isabel, I might ask you, what do you think the, the disconnect is? Um, I think having spoken to uh, quite a lot of the industry and the audiences, I, I believe that there is some, it's not for lack of intent, uh, for sure. I, I think that there's a real industry push to look into this now. But I do think that there are very real structural barriers that exist in the industry. Um, and kind of no way of knowing how to dismantle those very structures that have been in place since, um, since journalism has started in Australia. So uh, for me, just a small observation uh, recently is uh, man on management's part in the industry to kind of not connect this whole issue of disruption in Australian mainstream media with the lack of diversity um, in the composition of the staff. So when a lot of people talk about, uh, you know, survival and monetization, and um, certainly, you know, staying commercially viable, they're very much focused about the Googles and the Facebooks gobbling up ad revenue and not really kind of thinking, well, this is also connected with the lack of diversity. It's about audience reach. Um, and our audience is very diverse. So there's that lack of commercial imperative there. Mm. Um, and, and Tonya, what's your take? You've only um, been in the country a little while. Have you been here long enough to make a, even a preliminary assessment of uh, what, what our media is like? Well, I see lots of similarities to the United States. I, I visited a newsroom, um, which shall remain nameless while I was here, and I was astounded. It was dominated by white men within the newsroom, and yet I know Melbourne is a, is a very diverse place. Uh, so I would love to know 
really as a, a journalist, some of those structural things. One of some of the things that uh, we find in the United States is that there's really not a concerted effort to find talent that really represents the community in a deep way. And what I mean by that is, I talked a bit about implicit bias earlier today, but we are, we look right to the folks that feel most familiar to us that are within our social circle. So management often tends to find people through the traditional way, through other folks that are in the, in the world of journalism that they know, that they trust, that they can vouch for people. And as that moves along, then you just see this constant churning where it's the same type of person that ends up in a newsroom. So I would love to like really delve a little bit deeper with you on some of those structural things that you see. We will, and uh, we can jump to some possible solutions shortly. It, it seems to me, from what you're saying though, that there are two issues, right? There's the, the workforce composition, so who are the people in our newsrooms and is there enough diversity in our newsrooms? And there's also the content piece, isn't there? So how much diversity do we actually have in our content? In my opening comments, I should qualify it by saying I wasn't just making an assumption that our content is too homogenous. We know from major reports done by Screen Australia, for example, that um, we, are, we are doing quite badly in terms of meeting that one in three benchmark that the census sets up. Um, we know even in ABC News, we've done content analysis year on year, and for the past three years, what we found broadly is that about 20% of the people we put on air are culturally diverse. So again, that's falling well short of the one in three figure. So Tonya, I'll, I'll ask you again, um, are they linked? Are the two issues linked, having a diverse workforce and having content and coverage that is sufficiently representative? Absolutely, because you have to have a diversity of thought in the newsroom in order to have uh, diverse content. It's just, that's just a fact. We are able to be more aware that of the of the areas that we are missing, but at the same time, when you have folks from different socioeconomic uh, backgrounds, different races, different uh, genders, you really get a truer sense of the community by which you serve. And so you mentioned that one in three in the United States. I mean, for critical mass, in order there, for there to be real change on content and within the structure of a newsroom, you have to have at least Three. So 30% of the folks in a newsroom need to be of those minority groups in order for you to see a real change and shift in content. So Ellen, let me ask you a, a somewhat personal question. You mm. started out as a young reporter about 20 years ago. What's been your experience? Have you found that things now are any different to your experience when you, when you began as the, the sole Indigenous reporter in many newsrooms? It's really scary when you say 20 years ago. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, really? Still a young man. I still feel like I was, yeah, that 18 year old. But yeah, look, um, in my experience, uh, I'm from the bush and I'm from a very small town called Burke. I came to Sydney uh, to UTS doing communication. I really wanted to be a journalist and I, it took a very long time to get there and partly because I was, I was being given opportunities in in, in newsrooms, mainstream newsrooms, but feel, and I, I would flounder because I felt so isolated and I um, would feel, uh, I feel like all eyes on me if there was an Indigenous issue, say, uh, it, it would come up in the news and that happened a lot. And I felt 
fatigued from it. I think we were talking about this before about being fatigued as a as as a person of color and then as as someone in a newsroom who is surrounded by who is surrounded by people who who are essentially white and, and not understanding these issues. So uh, I always felt like I was. Uh, at times tokenistic, the token, like you sort of wheel me out when you want, when there's some indigenous event on that they wanted some uh, feel good coverage on and I'd be the face of like, oh look, we have this Corey guy here, and, you know, he's young and he's from Burke and all this stuff. Oh. And then at other times, uh, you know, when there'd be an onslaught of reporting, say around the high, high rates of crime in the community, uh, I'd be like sort of shunted away and I'd have to watch people take over that narrative when I knew that what people were reporting, they didn't understand what they were reporting and they were actually just sort of giving into stereotypes, but I wasn't allowed in on that dialogue or that conversation to help maybe make that reporting more robust or, or more real. Um, so do you think things are any better now? Um, look, I think we're getting, I think things are much better in terms of the Indigenous space. For years, uh, the Indigenous round was seen as some kind of, um, uh, a dumping ground for, for for journalists or a punishment. People were put on it and they just had to do it and then get to where they wanted to get the crime round or the politics round or whatever. Um, I've seen over the years more of a vested interest from younger journalists coming through who want to do uh, interesting Indigenous reporting um, and meaningful Indigenous reporting rather than see it as some penance that you have to do in the newsroom to get ahead. So, um, and with that, um, there's also been a rise in, in Aboriginal journalists um, in newsrooms, which is really heartening. You know, we've got Amy McGuire at BuzzFeed now. Um, Stan Grant, obviously, has, has done a lot for the industry. Uh, Bridget Brennan, Brooke Boney, all, yeah. these, all these people yeah. who, who are doing incredible things. And also very young Aboriginal activists getting into the media scene who who are able to report a very different narrative, one that the mainstream media won't touch. And you yeah. see that in publications like Junkie and Pedestrian. And, and that's a really interesting insight into how young people are feeling at, at this point in time, particularly Aboriginal people. So things are getting better, but I would say um, it hasn't come, we haven't come that far. Um, I've, yeah. I've gone through a lot of newsrooms and, uh, and got very fatigued about it. And, I'm very lucky that I've been able to go back to NITV, oh. a place that years ago people would have laughed at, you know, oh. and actually has been shunted here, there and everywhere and is now under SBS's wing and actually is thriving, I think, at the moment. So oh. people have said to me, don't go to NITV, what are you doing? I'm like, well, you know, I want to do oh. Indigenous reporting. Because that's the other dilemma as a person of colour is like, why would you want to do Indigenous reporting? You're Indigenous, like, don't get pigeonholed. It's like, oh. well, I oh. want to do that, you oh. know. It's, oh. Doesn't make me any less of a journalist. It's, but at ABC, I, I wasn't doing Indigenous reporting, as you know, when oh, I was there. I was oh. doing um, other reporting. So um, it doesn't make you, but I think you know, um, there's there's that other side of the coin as well. Thank yeah. you. That's so all. Isabel, you run Media Diversity Australia, which is a not-for-profit set up by Isabel and a couple of other people to work and help media organisations to understand why it is that their performance around diversity needs some work and to actually work with media organisations on solutions. What's your assessment of the general approach and some of the cultural and structural barriers that you're talking about that lead to a lack of diversity in content? Well, I did mention before it's not for lack of intent. I think a lot of managers now realise that this is a 
big priority for them. What I've seen time and time again, having spoken to uh, a number of leaders across the industry in digital and broadcast and, and traditional papers, is that there's three things, a lack of follow through, so the intent is not enough, the desire is not enough, you've got to see it through to the end. So it's not just enough that you recruit widely, you have to make sure that you retain the staff and develop them, and you know, just like any good workplace would do. So uh, lack of follow through, um, investment and funding. Um, so for people of uh, you know, culturally diverse or minority backgrounds from these communities, they might, might require more support in the workplace. Uh, having not had the strength of the networks and the relationships that um, others who, uh, whose families have probably been involved in this industry for a really long time. And thirdly is uh, the enemy of every journalist, time. You know, so when you're under a tight deadline, you don't really, it's not really a priority for you when you're doing story. And I know that Tonya touched on that in her last uh, speech. So we're trying to identify these very real issues that exist and trying to figure out little solutions for each of them. So for, uh, and Alan was saying about uh, the sensitivities around uh, <coughs> reporting uh, in indigenous communities, what we're trying to look at is to develop an indigenous reporting handbook, um, a resource that would be available for non-indigenous reporters going into these communities and um, you know, obviously not one, one mm. shoe fits all, so we yeah. have to look at it regionally and all sorts of things. So, so, so let's, let's talk broadly um, and, and briefly about some possible solutions. Um, Tonya, do you, do you endorse uh, Isabel's assessment of what, what's going wrong and what, anything you'd add to that? I definitely do. I'm thinking a lot, though, about something that Alan said. Um, in regards to his time in the newsroom and how he was sent out to do stories about feel-good indigenous stories, but when it came to those really big stories um, that he was kind of cast to the side and he wasn't brought to the table, mm. that is so important. Oh my gosh. It's so important as well when you're covering an issue um, that you really are sensitive to this idea of how much value a minority reporter is to give you context not only should he be part of this big story, at the very least, he should be consulted um, <coughs> on different ways. And I can tell you that later in my career, as it become, became more established in my career, I had uh, my peers do that for me. They would come to me and ask me questions. And that was wonderful, because really it gets them closer to the truth and closer to the story in a way that otherwise, without having that cultural context, wouldn't have gotten them. Yeah. Um, that whole idea though about the, the uh, recruitment efforts and the support within newsrooms. Um, the recruitment effort issue is a huge issue because oftentimes in the US you'll have news directors or bosses go to these conferences and they, they're minority conferences for journalists and they'll find minority journalists and then they come back <laughs> for some reason. They go every year and how come they never come back with anybody? I don't know, like that always happens. Um, so there, ha there has to be self-reflection on exactly what you're intending to get out of those conferences and what you truly want for your newsroom. Um, and yeah, 
I, so I, I just wholeheartedly agree with what you're talking about. Yeah. And Isabel, really briefly, what, what were some of the other structural solutions that you think would help a newsroom to have more diverse content? First of all, I think we need to quantify the problem. We all know that there's an issue, but it's all reduced to anecdotes. There are a few studies like the Screen Australia one and um, the PwC report that came out last year, but not one that delves into the composition of, of newsroom staff. And uh, in the US, I know that there's, a, you know, there's the ASNI, the American Society of News Editors, and they do reporting every year uh, into the composition. So I think that we, we are looking to do research into that, quantify the problem, so at least we have some quotable statistics mm. and say, well, this isn't reflective. I mean, it should be reflective of the census. And, and what should journalists do? What, what, what are some really practical pieces of advice you would give to um, content makers to change their approach, perhaps? Absolutely. Well, I, I've been thinking about this a lot because uh, one uh, freelance writer told me that it was only a matter of time that, that this will happen, the diversity. It's a slow beast that moves along and it's only a matter of time. And she said that you can't, um, you can't argue that for example, Asian doctors are underrepresented in medicine. There's tons of Asian doctors. Uh, so, you know, it's only a matter of time that it happens in journalism. But I was thinking about pathways into the industry and to become a doctor or a lawyer, there are very formalized pathways into the industry. You have to go and study medicine and law, and that's a qualification you have. For journalists, I've met journalists who have been teachers and baristas and puppeteers and uh, actors in their lifetimes. It's not a requirement. So the pathways into the industry are quite informal. So how do you get in? What is the access? Uh, it's the strength of your networks. It's the strength of your relationships. And it's really who you kind of hang out with socially. Um, and how many referrals have you received from friends? So we're trying to build those, these informal networks and support these guys who want access into mainstream media but don't really have the know-how, you know? Can I build on that as well? Um, we also have to have more um, minorities and women in uh, positions of leadership. Uh, so there is a, a station um, in the United States in the Baltimore area, um, a, a national public radio member station, and they just hired um, last year uh, an African-American woman to lead up um, the newsroom, and there's been a huge shift. Not only has there been a huge shift um, in the types of stories that they cover, they're covering more of their community in a, 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 a more uh, diverse way, but also they've seen an increase in their ratings, which is very interesting because really what they, do, what they are now doing is tapping into parts of the community that they've ignored for a long time. The truth is when you have more women in leadership, when you have more minorities, more minorities in leadership, you will have more minorities in women in the newsrooms. Oh. So, yeah. And Alan, um, what are your thoughts there on, on what all of us could take away and do differently yeah, to look, make a difference? Yeah, look, for sure. Um, so, I had people who, who gave me a chance, constantly gave me chances. I failed many times. In the Aboriginal community alone, I mean, you know, getting into the media is not the most pertinent issue. The closing the gap is huge um, health gaps. Um, the in inequity is huge. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and when you look at the education gap, that's even bigger. Mm -hmm. So, I think the solution is really for organisations or news organisations to work 
with young Aboriginal students as they come into university in media and see them through their courses. The dropout rate is huge. I dropped out several times. I'd just go back bush because I couldn't deal with it, the city. Um, but I, ha I always had people in major newsrooms who I could call up and would put me back on their shifts when I came back to the city. Um, not everyone has that, and that's what got me through until... So I had really great champions, and I think we don't have enough champions in newsrooms yeah, to work yeah. with people who are, who are coming up. The only way you're going to get Aboriginal journalists, more Aboriginal journalists, um, is basically work with them at that level and, and, and support them through and be holistic. I mean, the community have been saying for years about closing the gap, we have to work holistically with communities. Same in media, if you want, if you want great Aboriginal staff in your newsrooms, you need to work with them when they're at that most vulnerable level, which is often away from their home, at university, uh, feeling like um, they don't belong um, and you need to give them a clear pathway. Mm. I was very lucky to have that. Um, Alan, thank you. No You've been listening to the Walkley Talks podcast. If you like this podcast, there are three things you can do to help us. Sign up to our newsletter at walkleys.com forward slash subscribe. Rate us on iTunes or send us a few dollars to keep it going at walkleys.com forward slash donate. This podcast was produced with help from freelance journalist and fabulous intern Courtney Hunter in Sydney, Australia. Thanks for listening.